0: From the Carter Subaru Studios, this is Cairo Nights with Jake Scoreheim.
1: Welcome back to Cairo Nights. It is 9.06 p.m. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. I'm Jake Skorheim, your host. I hope you guys have had a chance to listen to the first two hours. I hope this is your third hour with us because you do not want to miss. We got so much stuff in the show. Honestly, we got so much stuff before right now that if you're just tuning in right now, you've done yourself a great disservice. So... After this hour, don't tune out now. Keep listening. I don't want you to go anywhere. But if you haven't, download the podcast, Kyra Nights with Jake Skorheim. We load everything up there almost immediately after the show so you can get all of this great stuff. It's HD. Put me right in your pocket, right? Just like stick me right in your pocket. I'm available to you whenever you want. That sounds kind of pervy. That's not how it's intended. But if it gets you listening, whatever. I mean, like if that's what you're into, enjoy. All right. uh, We got a lot of stuff to get to. First off, this story was a real bummer when I heard about it this weekend. Did you guys hear about Richard Sherman, that Richard Sherman story? Uh, Let's see. uh, Former Seattle Seahawks, this is on My Northwest, you guys can read about this there. Former Seattle Seahawks star Richard Sherman was arrested for suspicion of DUI at approximately 4 a.m. Saturday, the Washington State Patrol confirmed. The retired five-time All-Pro cornerback, 35, was subsequently booked into the King County Jail, officially rostered at the jail at 4.51 a.m. According to Coward News Radio, that's us. Richard Sherman waived his right. This is today. This is the update. He waived his right to appear in court this morning over the drunk driving arrest this weekend with his arraignment expected to be on Wednesdays. Um, Not Wednesdays, plural, just Wednesday the day. Uh, Washington State Patrol troopers claimed... He was driving 79 miles per hour in a 60-mile-per-hour zone. Sherman admitted to having two margaritas and officers detected signs of intoxication, according to WSP's report. He's currently out on $5,000 bail and was ordered not to drive until his arraignment date. This is one of those stories when I saw this. I thought it was such a bummer. Uh, We can talk a little bit about Sherman's 2021 arrest, which was also a bummer. But So the reason I find this so disheartening Not because, like, I like Sherman. He was a great part of the Seahawks. I have so many wonderful memories, Uh, his interceptions, uh, his trash-talking of San Francisco, uh, the Super Bowl, the Legion of Boom, all the things that Richard Sherman was a huge part of with the Seahawks and then became a huge part of with our lives. I owe him a great sense of thank you, a great sense of uh, debt of gratitude, I should say, to Richard Sherman. But when I see these stories, I just go, man— why can't you just get it together? Like, you know, this is again, he's, he's, uh, uh, this is not, he said he was, uh, what is this? For he was booked on a suspicion of DUI. So they're not saying for sure it was DUI, but he still got arrested, which sucks. Because my son, who is a massive Seahawks fan, and even though he wasn't alive when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, uh, he was about a year late for that, uh, Still, he knows everything about the Seahawks. And so he knows who Richard Sherman is. He still wonders how it ended up that Sherman ended up playing for the 49ers after the Seahawks. It's still puzzling to him. But so when the story came out this weekend, my wife and I were kind of looking at each other like, oh, man, this is a really bummer. We didn't want to talk about it too loudly because I didn't want my nine-year-old to hear because it's like one of his heroes. And this is a bummer. It's a real bummer. And then this also reminded us of uh, going back into Sherman's 2021 arrest. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that, but Sherman was previously arrested. This is all in the My Northwest article. You guys can check it out there if you're interested. Uh, Sherman was previously arrested in July of 2021 in Redmond after police said he crashed his SUV in a construction zone and tried to break into his in-laws' suburban Seattle home. His father-in-law, Raymond Moss, told officers that he armed himself with a handgun and fired pepper spray at Sherman to protect his family. Sherman, who said after the arrest that he was deeply remorseful, pleaded guilty in March 2022 to two misdemeanor counts, first-degree negligent driving, second-degree criminal trespass. He also admitted to a criminal infraction of speeding in a roadway construction zone. Sherman said, I'm grateful for the community we have and the way people continue to accept you, even though you're a flawed human being and make a mistake. Sherman told the court, in the plea agreement, Sherman was also placed under court supervision for two years and additionally ordered to attend a DUI victim's panel. This is all back in the 2021 arrest. And and why it's interesting now is because does this come back into play? And does this have anything to do with what happened over the weekend? Um, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk surmised in a piece that he authored on Sunday that since the two-year period between pleading guilty to the 2021 incident and Friday's arrest had not yet expired, that could create separate legal issues for Sherman. Florio, who used to work full time as an attorney, appeared to be basing his conclusion purely as an outside observer. The whole thing here is just a real bummer, though, because again, you want to think that these guys are are you know unflappable. And he's very like Sherman's really successful. He now has a restaurant. Um, he has uh, uh, I think he's a he's one of the hosts on I believe it's Thursday Night Football. He's on a ton of other. He's just he's a great guy in the media. He's super dynamic to listen to everybody loves him everyone in Seattle loves this guy but you go out and have incidents like this and I know everybody can make a mistake I totally understand that and I know everybody can maybe think that they have are totally sober and can drive fine and then they they realize oh you know what I'm actually technically over the legal limit I know those kinds of mistakes happen but if he has this thing back in 2021 and now he has this thing again now here in 2024 there's a pattern there that I don't like you know i've had I've had friends. Like I know people who've been arrested for DUI, who've been pulled over for DUI, who thought they were fine to drive. They weren't swerving all over the road and going crazy. They were pulled over for something else. And they had happened to have been at a place where they had had a drink and they thought they were totally fine to drink. There's probably not many of us listening who haven't been in a similar situation where you have a a drink earlier in the night. And then you think to yourself, you know what, I'm going to wait this out a few hours. What is it like? It's an hour per drink is basically what they tell you to do. So your body can, you know, burn that alcohol off. But I hope, I hope that, uh, you know, I hope that he figure this, figures this out with my friend who this happened to, uh, it totally changed his life. He won't even sniff alcohol if he knows that he has to drive that day. I mean, the PTSD of going through ex- the experience of being arrested and, you know, having to explain to your family that you had a, a DUI, that's a big deal. And People don't, you know, a lot of people learn from that. I hope that Richard Sherman learns from this. I still wish him the best. I'm a huge fan of his. I just hope that this doesn't happen anymore, and I hope this guy, you know, I hope he can get past this if if indeed it was a DUI. He did admit in the piece here, it says that he admitted to drinking a couple of margaritas. That's a bad idea, you know? If you're going to have a drink, especially if you're a super rich guy, you can afford uh, a driver. Just, like, call up an Uber. Just That's not a problem. Call an Uber. Obviously, you should do that. Even if you don't have a ton of money... Call Uber. Doesn't matter. Just call it, or walk, or sleep it off or wherever you're at. All right. Uh, I want to get to this other story because I found this really fascinating. In San Francisco, I saw the story. Uh, things are getting pretty bad, and they're getting so bad that listen to what this one store had to do. They had to actually have this have uh, employees at this one hardware store in uh, a neighborhood I had never heard of. I don't spend a ton of time in San Francisco, but this neighborhood's called Cow Hollow. Have you guys heard of this? What they've had to do because they've had so much theft in that store, so many like smash and grabs and people popping in and just grabbing things and running out with it, they're losing so much money that they now have employee escorts walking people around. Every single shopper gets a personal shopping experience. Uh, K- uh, Kron, Kron, Four News, Four News in San Francisco, they have the report.
0: For a few hours every day, this is what you'll find entering Fredrickson's Hardware and Paint in Hollow. The table alerts customers to wait for assistance at the door, a move that's being attributed to, quote, rampant shoplifting. It's pretty bad. I mean, the uh, dollar amounts are pretty significant. And with the tools and now we're getting snatch and grabs where they come in and take hold displays. So it's getting kind of dangerous for the employees. And
1: I'm going to pause it real fast. They showed what these guys have to do. Like, I don't know when the last time you went to a hardware store was, but they have a lot of items. Like, you look at, like, just go into their nuts and bolts section, and they have all these tiny little boxes of screws and nuts and bolts and washers, and they have aisles and aisles of fixtures and all these tiny little things that need to be accounted for um, that they have to do an inventory for, I'm assuming at some point. You go to a Home Depot, look at something like that. Every single one of these places in the San Francisco shop, every single one of those little... Uh, bars that they put these little tiny things that hang on there. There's a lock at the end of that bar. Can you imagine how tedious it would be to go in to try to get a nuts and bolts situation when you have to go get an employee to unlock a, a screw for you or a washer that you might need? Ridiculous! I can't even imagine how business can make money like this. The customers.
0: Store manager Sam Black says for two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening, an employee will work with an individual customer. The table serves as a way to keep potential thieves from moving freely in and out of the store. We just want to make it uncomfortable for the thieves so they go somewhere else black says over his 24 years of working at frederickson's the theft is the worst it has ever been staff has had to drill down pots and pans to keep shoplifters from swiping them
1: that's the other crazy part literally drill down pots and pans like you guys know those big giant iron you know iron pots that somebody might use um they weigh 500 pounds they don't actually weigh 500 pounds they're very very heavy but they have literally just screwed them into the wood. So if you're interested in one of those things, you have to go up to it and you have to then ask one of these people to come over to you and unscrew this thing from the wall so that you can then go and make your purchase. Crazy.
0: They've also had to put in locking systems to keep people from pocketing tools and other household hardware. One customer telling Cron4 off camera that the situation is just sad. Yeah, people aren't happy. The regulars just, um, they can't believe it, like we can't believe it, but, you know, they've been really understanding. Black says he and his staff had to try something because they had not much success getting help from city leaders or the police. At this point, the one-on-one shopping experiment has been going on for three weeks. Black says they'll review the results after a month.
1: just had to do something. They just had to try something because the city's not stopping it. Do you guys remember this story? We actually talked about this, uh, I think it was a week ago. There was a local store here who has been broken. I believe it's a restaurant, local restaurant here. They talked to uh, our buddy Jason Rance over on the Jason Rance show on 770 KTTH. They have been broken into 23 times. I know we have business owners who listen in the show because sometimes they text us. People, we have a lot of business owners actually who listen to this show. How many times have, like, what do you guys do to combat this? Like, to fight against this? Because the city's not stepping in and helping anyone. They don't seem to be. 23 times locally here, a restaurant gets broken into. How do you run a business like that? You can't. I feel awful for these store owners. Like, this this hardware store down in San Francisco, it might as well be a store here locally. And I just feel bad for them because you have these city policies which are just opening the door, literally, to criminals coming in, and and they're not even paying attention to this kind of stuff. So they're just kind of leaving these store owners out there on their own. So what do the store owners do? Well, in this case, that, that hardware store, that's been there since 1896. They don't want to go anywhere, but they will if they have to. They'll have to go somewhere else. I mean, if they can't make money, then it's time to go, which is what a lot of folks are doing in Seattle or any big city. Pick any big city. If you have the means to do your business elsewhere, you do it because you don't want to have to put up with the repercussions of living in a city where just crime can just run rampant. It's crazy. On the bright side, because I always like to find a bright side to these things, the personal shopping experience at a hardware store actually sounds kind of delightful, and I think I would really like it. So when you walk into this store, this hardware store, you are met by a desk which blocks your path. So you can't go back into the store. There's, a, there's an employee sitting there and then they say, what do you need? And you go in and you would say, all right, I need this or that. And then they'll walk you back to that section and they will help you find whatever you're looking for. To me, that sounds really great because when I walk into a, a hardware store, there's just so many options. I'm burning so much time that it would be nice to have somebody just helping me out. I So I kind of like that. I know it's not a good thing for the store, but this is actually kind of a nice thing for me. Also, I think we've lost a lot of the personal shopping experience. I kind of like look back on the, you see like an old movie where you see like a shop around the corner or something like that, where somebody walks into a shop and you walk up to the desk and the person says, hey, what can I help get you uh, at whatever your shop you're at? And they immediately know where everything's at. They know all the size, they know everything. Now it's kind of an impersonal experience. You're walking into a shop. Most stores now have self-checkouts, which are another thing that I'm not loving, but they're helping people get through the store faster. They're helping people get through checkout. Probably it's just so the store doesn't have to pay somebody hourly to do something that the rest of us can kind of do for free, which is just to check out my own stuff. Side note about that. Can we get a discount? Do you guys think we deserve a discount for checking out our own items? Like even at Costco now, which I find bizarre because I'm never walking out of Costco with less than a million things. And why do I want to sit there and scan a ton of stuff? First, you got to go through the checkout thing. First, you got to like have somebody verify that you are who you say you are by showing them your Costco card, which I'm also not in love with, but whatever. That's I get why they're doing it. That's fine. They don't want people using other people's Costco cards, whatever. But they are opening up uh, self-checkout lines. So I feel like they're kind of like inviting this kind of behavior by having a self-checkout line. But... I don't love that about Costco and I don't love it at the grocery store either. I don't love, I do love it when I'm buying one thing. Like if I'm just buying one thing really quick, it's nice. I get in, I get out. so maybe it helps. I I take it back. I kind of like those lines. All right. I take it back. I like the self checkout lines when I need them when I don't need them though. And when I need a regular person to help me check out, I detest the self checkout lines because they just assume we're all willing to do it all the time. Also bagging your own groceries. When did that start? Is that just completely a Trader Joe's thing? Did they just start doing that, and then everybody else went, oh, I guess we could just have them bag their own groceries. I guess they'll just do it. If we just don't make eye contact with them, they'll just bag their own groceries. That's what they seem to do at Trader Joe's. I don't know why they do that. You're kind of in this, like, Russian, you're not Russian, you're playing this game of chicken with ever checking you out at Trader Joe's. Whether or not they're going to pack your bag, they're kind of expecting you to pack it, I think, which is why they put the bags on your side but I don't like to do that. I, if I'm buying groceries at Trader Joe's, I like to have them pack my bag, but whatever, that's me. That's a personal thing. All right, so uh, bright side is personal shopping, great. Bad side is these companies can't do business, and that sucks, because then all the businesses go away, and then I'm not getting any personal shopping experience because there's nowhere to shop, because you can't shop in a city with no stores. All right, um, lastly, I got one time for one more thing, really, really fast. I don't know why this story made me smile, but it did um axios has a story hunter biden seems to imply in this interview that he does with axios that the fate of democracy rests on his ability to (laughs) stay sober no
0: god no god please no no no
1: No! all right so listen this um axios is billing this as an exclusive i guess it is so good for them uh, Hunter Biden sees his sobriety as key to keeping Trump from winning. He told Axios in a rare interview that he sees his continued sobriety as crucial not only to his life, but also to ensuring Donald Trump doesn't return to the Oval Office. And there's a quote from um, uh, Hunter. He says, "I often do think of the profound consequences of failure here. He's talking about a sobriety. Maybe it's the ultimate test for a recovering addict. I don't know." Hunter Biden said, I have always been in awe of people who have stayed clean and sober through tragedies and obstacles few people ever face. They are my heroes, my inspiration. He added that in this case, I have something much bigger than even myself at stake. We are in the middle of a fight for the future of democracy. So then the article goes on to make a connection that if Hunter Biden falls off the wagon, that it would weigh pretty heavily on his papa, who is, of course, President Joe Biden. He runs uh, the country and uh, the free world, which as the article points out, would probably give Trump more of an advantage if President Joe Biden had to worry about his son, which is probably true, actually. So I hope that Hunter keeps fighting the good fight. Do you guys remember when Hunter uh, was a... uh, he He was issued a congressional subpoena. He was supposed to show up and testify on some business dealings. And instead... He decided to ignore that and he held a press conference outside the Capitol and he talked about how the GOP was basically coming after him and had been for many years. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed-door session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy. They've ridiculed my struggle with addiction. They've belittled my recovery and they have tried to dehumanize me. For six years, I have been the target of the unrelenting Trump attack machine shouting, where's Hunter? Well, here's my answer. I am here. He is here. Uh, I had never heard Hunter talk before, so when I heard that press conference, I don't know why, I just always seen pictures of him uh, that he posted in his underwear. So when I saw him actually speaking in real life as a person, I was just surprised by how he sounded. Uh, but certainly you hear in that clip there, he says the GOP have been coming after him for six years. If he were to fall off the wagon, would they use it against him in the, the election coming up and, you know, the end of this year? Yeah, I think they probably would. So I hope, Hunter, for your sake, that you're able to stay off the wagon. I switched glasses when your back was turned. Ha <laughs> ha, you fool. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have a lot more coming up on the show. Stick around. We're going to be right back here on Kyra Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Skorheim. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. All right, I got one of my favorite buddies on the show right now. He is a star over on 710 Seattle Sports. He is, of course, Dave Wyman from the Wyman and Bob Show. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks for
2: having me, Jake. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing real good.
1: Uh, welcome to this Monday show. We don't often get you on on Mondays, but anytime we get a chance to get you on, very excited. Uh, i'm
2: so glad to hear that yes Good. mostly i'm really just tired and want to go home i know you, i know you always come and bother me and i no, i'm Do you know what know. i've had people i've had like people in here go oh i love when you go on with jake and well I'm there like, you go that's, that's all i need that's all you just need blow a little smoke just up
1: blow mine. some smoke up dave's backside and uh <laughs> he's happy to i always wonder if you like kind of like shrink away because we have a big window for anybody who, who uh cares my desk Sits directly across from the 710 Seattle Sports Station side of the building, right? And the way that our studios are set up, we're kind of in this like you know we all have our desks in this kind of pit area, and then we have these big giant windows where we can see into the studios and see the talent uh, doing their work. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I'll kind of look up from my desk and I'm like I'll try to make eye contact. On a day that I'm like wanting you to come on the show because I'm just got, you know try to get get a head nod or something like that, but I always think that oh if he knows what I'm doing because you know it gets late at night and you want to get home and my show's late, uh, can I convince him to stay long enough so that he can come on my show? So and Did you, you see that I kind of put my hand up. I and do shade see that, it so I yeah. don't look
2: at you. Yeah, you draw the like, curtains because if Jake asked me to, you know drive to Canada, I'd, I'd do it.
1: Yeah. Cause so. you're a nice guy. Cause you're a real nice guy. All right. And so I want to talk about some, uh, there is some Seahawk news. There's a, there's one story that everybody's been talking about. I'd love your perspective on it, but before we talk about it, I do want to just stress, this is a non judgment conversation. This yeah. is purely just us talking about what's in the news. And it's interesting to me. Of course, that is about uh, Richard Sherman. He was arrested over the weekend on suspicion of DUI he had a court case today that he decided he wasn't going to go to, which is well within his right. Um, he posted bail, so he's out on $5,000 bail. And I think he has his next uh, case date on, or hearing on Wednesday to determine whatever. Yeah. So was this a big topic on your guys' show today?
2: Well, we brought it up, obviously, because, and then Shannon Sharp was talking about it on his podcast. And uh, yeah, and it just, it, it's, for me it's kind of sad because yes. you know, and Sherm really is a nice guy. Um, I think he he got very jaded as you remember um when he was really, really good early on, and he was a fifth round draft choice, and nobody knew who he was, yes, but he was kind of a loud mouth, and so he actually went on the streets in kind New Orleans, of, kind of a loud mouth, yeah, yeah, yes. just, <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit, yeah. And uh, so he was interviewing people. It was before the Super Bowl, and the Seahawks weren't in in the Super Bowl, and so he was going around and asking people, "What do you think about Richard Sherman?" And they're like, "Oh, that guy's a you know, he's an idiot, he's a punk, he's this and that and and then he was like, Hey, I'm Richard Sherman. He was really oh, funny hey. about it. Yeah. 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 And yeah. he was a funny guy. He, and you, he is. you
1: guys you guys are both alumnus of the same school, right? You both yep. went to Stanford.
2: Yep. Yeah. yeah. And he's and he was bragging about how he's the only he was the first guy, uh, or I think football player, out of Compton to uh, – because Compton, pretty pretty rough town, but actually yeah. that's not true because I played with a guy named Joe Kane, who was a, a linebacker that uh, – Also out of Compton. Yeah, that was from Compton. Straight but, out of Compton. All yeah, right. exactly. So, you know, it, but you see this and you just go, man, especially it's the second time. I know. So that's, that's the one that I always – you know, to me, I always think – what if you were in that situation and you hurt somebody or killed somebody God forbid. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, if I had to go to jail, whatever, uh, I don't think anything could match my guilt. The guilt that you had done. So you made a personal choice for yourself, but affected somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the part that I'm I just like, oh, man, how do you not think that? And I understand. Like, I've been out. I've, you know, gone
1: to dinner and had one too many drinks or whatever it was. Thank God I was, you know, either my, either my wife was driving or whatever. Yeah. You know what? Knock your wife up. Cause then you got you that's got what a designated I did. driver. That's what I did. Yeah, my wife's pregnant and, right now, so I can drink as fantastic. much as I want when we go out. <laughs> and <laughs> have your dated. chauffeur. Yeah, that's why I have four kids now, Dave. Is because <laughs> of,
2: because of my drinking problem. Jake, I think you have a problem. Here. Yeah. Uh,
1: no, yeah. but wait. Like, when the story came out over the weekend, I my wife was like, "Oh, did you see Richard Sherman got arrested yeah. for DUI?" And I said, uh, "I said, oh man, it was one of those stories. I felt such. It was such a bummer." to hear the news because I have such a soft spot in my heart for this guy. I love what he did for Seattle. Yeah. Legion of boom Seahawks. I loved his brash attitude. The guy we were talking about a second ago with the chip on his shoulder, who was just like, Hey world, you know, like middle finger, Mm -hmm. you don't appreciate me. Like I'm the best. Yeah. I love that attitude. Like I just, I, I find it so appealing in my football players. And so, but I don't love when guys get arrested for things that are completely avoidable. And so the other thing is, like my kid, who I've talked to you about, he's a massive football fan. Mm -hmm. And so even though he wasn't alive when Sherman was part of the Legion of Boom and with the Seahawks, of course he knows everything about him because he knows everything about the Seahawks, which is why he has a poster of Dave Wyman on his wall. (laughs) He does. He has two, actually. Well, I gave them to him, so. Well, that's true. No, I but, was like,
2: here, can you take these, please, put them on your <laughs> But disposal. he loves them, actually. So, yeah, no, he's a
1: big fan. And so so we were, like, whispering about this around my house this weekend. So I was like, I didn't want my nine-year-old son to hear yeah. that Richard Sherman got a DUI. Really? And, you know, there's just that part of the story where I feel like, oh, I'm pro- I want to be protective of this guy, but at the same time this is definitely not behavior that we should encourage in any way. Yeah. And you know, it's tough. It's like, that's
2: a tough conversation with your kids. You know, it's like, you don't want to wake them up to reality, right? No, you don't want to show them the, the underbelly. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's a tough one. Um, you know, it's kind of like you you mentioned earlier before we started talking, um, about, um, you know, never meet your heroes. Yeah. 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 I have a story real quick. Um, so I had three posters on my wall, and they're anybody that's an old-timer like me, I'm 59. Um, when you were at school, they had like an order form where you could, you know, fill out like, I want this book, and I want, and I don't remember what the company was. Scholastic. Is that it? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Oh. I think, Well, at least it was when I was in school, and that yeah. was like 35 years ago. <laughs> so um, I, I had... For whatever reason, I mean, in, like, the fourth or fifth grade, like, I knew I wanted to be a linebacker. So I had three posters of linebackers. One was Robert Brazil, and he was a linebacker for the Houston Oilers at the time. And then the other one was Jack Lambert, which I still have it. Oh, really? Yeah, and my mom framed it for me because when I was in high school, I put a little— little bubble uh, out of coming out of his mouth that says don't bleep with me <laughs> and my mom actually thought that was funny it is funny and he, and so and then the third guy was a guy named randy gratishar and he was a linebacker and he just actually went in i think he's a nominee for the hall of fame he was a great linebacker and so when i i played in denver it was my first year there and uh um, this is with the broncos it's with the broncos and um we were getting ready to play San Diego. I'll never forget this. And I think it was the breakfast before, like the pregame meal. And I went up to him and I just said, hey, you know, Randy, I'm, I've had your poster on my wall and I'm this and that. And and he, he did everything he could to let me know he had no idea who I was. Oh,
1: man. And it was like,
2: and he just. Kind of went on and on about it, it. And I'm like, You're like, dude, I'm in the NFL
1: too. I'm playing
2: you. Yeah. Like this is this should be a cool moment for you too. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, for him, you know, if somebody comes up and says, Oh, I'm a huge fan. I had your poster on my wall when, when I, was I was a kid. kid. You know, I mean, you'd think, oh man, this is great. So it's great. It's like a to full meet circle you. moment. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you have talked about the chip on your shoulder. Um, I went out and had probably one of my best games. I scored a touchdown on yes. a fake field goal. I knocked a couple passes down. I had like 12 tackles. And I think it it kind of fueled me a little bit. But mostly I was just like, what a punk. He could have been much cooler. You know what I want to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he could have been much cooler. Oh, man. And I just, yeah, it was... Uh, it, so anyway, I mean, yeah, you find out later in life that you know these—they're just people, they're yeah. just human beings. Maybe he's not the greatest guy in the world, or they make whatever, mistakes like all of us. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, there's that's, my there's my uh, never meet your heroes story.
1: Never meet your heroes. Yeah. Uh, well, that's Dave Wyman. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. You got it. Buddy. Thanks for sticking around this long to to do it. All right, uh, Dave Wyman. Catch him every day on the Wyman and Bob Show over on Seven Ten Seattle Sports. And uh, never meet your heroes, for sure. All right, we're going to be right back here on Cairo Nights. You're
0: listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Skorheim.
1: Welcome back to Cairo Nights. All right, so the last segment of the night. As you guys know, for the last segment of the night, I always like to save something very special just for you. It's kind of my enticement. It's my dessert at the end of this meal that we set for you every night. And I found this really interesting, actually. So I really I really was actually excited to tell you guys about this. I read this last night in this book. So I did not know this information, but I found this fascinating. I did not know that. So listen to this. Do you guys know, uh, if you've heard of the Nobel Prize, obviously you've all heard of the Nobel Prize, but you probably didn't know, or I didn't, so I'm assuming that you didn't. You probably did. Actually, you're, you're all... I got a smart audience. You guys all probably knew this information already. But let me tell you, for the two or three of you out there who are like me, who don't know a ton of stuff, then I found this really fascinating. Do you know how the Nobel Prize came to be or how it was funded? So the Nobel Prizes are, I didn't even know this was more than one. There's more than one. There's six separate prizes, actually, that according to Alfred Nobel's will, which was back in 1895, are awarded to, quote, those who during the preceding year have conferred the greatest benefit to humankind, which sounds really grandiose and really great so that's what the Nobel prize is hey park what is that don't bother me now sweet can't see i'm busy yeah but what is that it, it, it's, a, it's a major award a major award shucks i wouldn't know dad it looks like a lamp well it is a lamp you nincompoop but it's a major award i won it damn hell you say you want it yeah have mind power sweet mind power so I'm reading this book right now uh, by an author whose name is Douglas Brunt. And I believe he's also the husband of Megyn Kelly, actually. But he's an author, and he's a really great writer. And he's got this book out, and the book is called The Mysterious Case of Rudolf Diesel, Genius, Power, and Deception on the Eve of World War One." That's a pretty mouthy title, I understand that. But the name you probably caught there was Diesel, Rudolf Diesel, as in the inventor of the diesel engine. And so in this book, he's detailing... A really truly fascinating rags to riches story. Rudolf Diesel came from abject poverty. Um, He was he was like moved all around, and all he was a migrant to all these different countries. He was like going through. He was basically rushed from one country into another, and he ends up having this great success because they identify that he's kind of a genius, and so he ends up being this engineering genius. He goes to all these really fancy schools, and he ends up inventing the diesel engine. And up until that point. People were still using steam engines, so he he has changed the world literally has changed the world. But this story is not about Rudolf Diesel. This story is about Alfred Nobel and the Nobel Prize. So in the book they talk about a bunch of his contemporaries. One of his contemporaries was Alfred Nobel, who is the benefactor, uh, who you know they award the Nobel Peace Prize in his honor every single year. But listen to this: were it not for this bad reporting, we probably wouldn't even fa- have the Nobel Prize. So uh, this is from the, one of the footnotes, which I found fascinating. I actually like, took a picture of this last night. I'm reading this, at like 11.30 at night. I'm laying in bed. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. And footnotes are great, by the way. Uh, you should read footnotes. So, okay, this is from the book. When Ludwig, Ludwig uh, Nobel died, that's Alfred's brother, in April 1888, French newspapers incorrectly reported the death of Alfred, who was in fact alive and well. Alfred then read his own obituary, which was a scathing critique of his life and work. The obituary named Alfred a merchant of death and declared that his invention, dynamite, killed more people faster than ever before. Alfred was so disturbed at this potential posthumous reputation that he later changed his last will and testament to bequeath his entire fortune to a new foundation that would award a series of prizes to those who, during the preceding year, shall have conferred the greatest benefit to mankind. What was so crazy about that, one, I had no idea that Alfred Nobel made, how he made his money. I just assumed, super smart scientist, which he was. He was a super smart scientist. But during his lifetime, he used that science knowledge to, because they have like the Nobel Peace Prize. Like that's what they call it. They call it the Nobel Peace Prize. But what did Alfred Nobel sell during his lifetime? How did he make all his money? A lot of, like a lot of bomb, like dynamite. This is a guy who created dynamite. Uh, also, his family made a ton of money digging for oil. They were oil people. The three Nobel brothers had, were massively successful in the oil industry. And so you have this guy who, you know, reads this tiny little newspaper blip that says he was a merchant of death. And he suddenly is looking back on this life. It's not over yet. He was still alive at the time, and he's like, "Oh my gosh, people are going to remember me as this guy who killed a lot of folks because I invented dynamite, and I dug for oil and all these different. They probably didn't care about the oil back then, but I I invented all these things that people died from, and then and they have a ton of great, you know, ton of great uses too, obviously. Uh, but yes, people have died from his invention, and so he decides I'm going to create this thing, and then these people are going to remember me as Alfred Nobel, man of peace." And guess what? It worked. I had no idea. I just was like, oh yeah, Nobel Peace Prize. I assume he was probably a really smart scientist who was really into peace. And humankind... (laughs) <laughs> and I guess I guess that uh, history is written by the victors, and when you're super rich and you can fund a prize in your honor every year, it can be about whatever you want. So I found that fascinating. I hope you guys did too, and I highly recommend the book. It's a really good book. I haven't finished it yet, but it is fantastic. The Mysterious Case of Rudolf Diesel, Genius, Power, and Deception on the Eve of World War One. If you're at all interested in diesel engines or mysterious deaths, then this book is for you. All right, uh, that's the end of our show. I hope you guys have had a wonderful time. We've had a great time tonight. Thank you so much for listening. We're already working on a great show for you tomorrow. But now I got to get home. I got to get some sleep so we can come back here and do it all again. Night-night.